Welcome to the Heritage Radio Network on Tour. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Today we're broadcasting live from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. My friends just dumped all the wine we drank last night. We want to thank the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible and to Charleston Wine and Food Festival for having everyone down here for the fifth year in a row. Our guest today is Nicole Marchese. Nicole is the winemaker at Farniente Winery in Napa, California. Welcome to the Grape Nation. Happy to be here. All right, Nicole, I think a lot of people know your wines, but they may not necessarily know who makes them. So give me a little background in your journey in life and wine that got you to currently the winemaker Farniente. Sure. So... I, um, I was at the University of California at Davis working on an unrelated science degree and uh, not super happy trying to find out what I liked. Ended up taking a job at the school newspaper and did an article about the viticulture and enology department. So I interviewed professors, found out there was this amazing way to use science and took the intro class, changed majors and just didn't look back. I've... Um, after school, I traveled and worked a few internships. I went to New Zealand and worked, and then came back. I uh, was working in Sonoma, needing to find a full-time job, and ended up uh, starting at Farniente in the lab as the enologist in 2005. So I've just hit my 15-year mark with the, with the company just last month. I've been winemaker for 10 years. So All right, enologist, so, assistant, and then winemaker. Okay, so lab 05, and yeah. then you move up the ranks. Move, moved up the ranks, yep. What, when was that moment that you knew wine was the thing you wanted to, you know, do? Was it, was it at Davis or when you left? You know, I think it really was at Davis. We had this, uh, there was a class that we all called barbecue class. <laughs> and it was a, a class that you got to take and we'd have, it was on, it was an evening class and we'd have a speaker come, winemakers would come talk to us and then we'd all share wine and barbecue, like you'd bring your own food to barbecue and we'd sit ah. around. And so I think that feeling of, hey, this is science, which I love, but it's also people and it's sharing and it's coming together. And I knew that's what I wanted in my life. Cool. So Beth Nickel, the proprietress of Farniente, obviously a woman, has been very pro-women in wine. You know, there's been a lot of women winemakers and women people there. Um, do you feel that the rest of Napa Valley is up to that level? I mean, are women getting a fair shake? I, th I think specifically, like, I can only speak to what it's like to be a woman in the, on the production side of things. And um, I, I have never felt held back right. by being a woman. I think Farniente, the two previous winemakers for me uh, there were both women, so we've got a long history of that. Uh, and I have a lot of other women winemaker friends in Napa. So it hasn't felt like I had no one to turn to, to talk to. I think we're super progressive um, in California and super progressive in Napa. And just recognize that you recognize talent when you find it, regardless of whether or not it's a man or a woman. So no real issue. I, I haven't. As far as doing what you need to do, being a woman was not an issue. It has not been do an issue. Do you think being with Beth and the whole environment there makes things easier? Yeah, I think that specifically at Farniente, it's a, it's a really, um, it's a conducive environment for that. It, like, it, we support families, we support good work, we support 
Um, we support each other. And so I think, um, I think it's a great place to be a woman and a man because we just, we support the whole person in your whole life. All right, so let's talk about family. You're a mom. I am, yep. Full-time winemaker. <laughs> Full-time winemaker. Two kids. Two kids. And ironically, you can't even escape the world because your husband's in the business, right? He's he a is, winemaker? Yes, he is a winemaker as well. So when you're lying in bed staring at the ceiling, I mean, do you talk about anything other than wine? Yes, we talk about, like, who's dropping the kids off for their soccer practice the next day. So uh, real mom yeah, stuff and all no, that. Yeah, no, I actually find it... Um, it's really refreshing to have a partner who understands cha- the challenges and who so can that's empa- great. That's great. Who can really empathize. And um, also when I have, you know, I bring samples home and his opinion really matters to me in my work. And so that's really great to have somebody. Second palate, second yeah, eye. Second palate or, and he brings his samples home and I get to taste his. And, and so it's really collaborative at home. But going back to my first question, being a mom, having the responsibility of taking care of kids. And I know guys and you know guys, we don't know how to do everything. So obviously you're doing everything at home, maybe. Um, I am not, actually. You're not? You no. let him do some stuff? So you don't have to worry about being a woman at a nickel or in the wine business. The, no. Like you said. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about Farniente. Okay. All right. Give me a little history of the winery because you know we know there's zillions of wineries in Napa now but Farniente has a pretty good history. Yeah Farniente is definitely steeped in history so the the winery was actually uh, started in 1885. A man named John Benson came out to California for and uh, created the winery. The architect uh, who built the winery was his name was Hamden McIntyre, and he built quite a few wineries in Napa. So if you if you're there, if you go to the Culinary Institute, which is called Greystone, he, he did, he did Hamden Hamden McIntyre did that. He Chateau Montalena, Inglenook, and Trafet. So he was a big grand a guy, big, right? Yeah, and when you go and you see these historic buildings, they you can see the similarities in them. So uh, 1885, it was originally called Farniente. Uh, didn't survive prohibition, so it became an abandoned building for many years. We still get some um, older folk from Napa who say, "Oh, I used to have the greatest parties in high school at Farniente because it was this abandoned stone building." <laughs> right. We have different sort of parties there now, right? Um, but our uh, so in the 1970s, late 70s, our modern founder Gil Nickel, who came out from Oklahoma, fell in love with Napa, fell in love with winemaking, and wanted to create. An iconic wine estate that would that would rival the great estates in 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 France, and he really put his heart and soul into that. Renovated the property. We're on the list of historic places, and um, started our current incarnation of Farniente with the 1979 Chardonnay. So, what was Gil's background? So, Gil came from the nursery business. He did. Yeah. So, Greenleaf Nursery, which is a major commercial nursery, was his family's business in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. Nothing to do with wine, vines, grafting. Just no. regular, yeah. you know, nursery yeah. and all of that. Um, do we know why he was, you know, compelled to come out to Napa? Um, I think he came out to do some coursework. He was. He's just. He was a. Uh, um, I never got the opportunity to meet him. Right, but all he, the passed my, all, he passed away a few away, years but ago. All the stories. He was a lifelong learner, curious, really passionate, really dedicated to making things that last and that are beautiful and luxurious. And and Napa just, I think, just Napa just pulled him in. Right. Um, 
Let's talk about the wines. Interestingly, you concentrate on really a couple of varietals, right? The red and the white is basically Cab, and the white is Chardonnay, which are the classic and typical, you know, Napa wines and grapes. Yep. But everyone's making so much more. Why, why did it wind up that way? Uh, well, we, we really wanted to be focused on, um, on those two grape varietals, so specifically Cabernet and Chardonnay. We wanted to be like a great estate in, in Bordeaux with our Cabernet, and we wanted to make a Chardonnay that rivaled the wines in Burgundy that from day one. And we're, we're just so, we're very focused on doing, doing what we do and doing it really well and not trying to spread ourselves too, too thin. You know what I right. mean? And anytime, we, anytime our business has wanted to branch out and try something new, instead of trying to just make everything under Farniente, which has its identity with Cabernet and Chardonnay, right. we've created new brands. And so our, our company actually has five individual brands with individual winemakers focused on, on different areas so of nickel wine. And nickel so Nickel and Nickel, and Dolce, which is a late harvest wine. wine. We have a Russian River Pinot Noir brand called En Route and a, and a new Napa Valley Cabernet called Bella Union. So what I'm a little intrigued about is the Chardonnay is non-malolactic, right? Correct. Tell people before okay. we go on what that means in wine and winemaking. Okay. So what happens after after primary fermentation when the sugar is turned into alcohol, there's a secondary fermentation that takes that can take place and it's called malolactic fermentation. So that's when um, malic acid, which is like the crisp acid of an apple, if you think about how tart that is, to uh, lactic acid, which is like the acid that's in milk, so a little bit softer profile. So we intentionally block that from happening, and that's been a style point for us since 1979. We haven't changed that. And what we really found was that Chardonnay coming from Napa Valley, which is a warmer climate, like we really need to retain acidity for freshness, for food pairing and for ageability. So by preventing malolactic fermentation from happening, we really have a refreshing wine that's not too heavy and flat, and we have a wine that you can put down in your cellar and actually age it for several years. Isn't it hard to argue that when people think of Napa shards, they think of big, rich, buttery, this, this is, yes, this is the opposite style, right? It Agree? Is. But the cab that you make is kind of a polar opposite. It's a little bigger and more unctuous. How would you describe? At, at, yes, we, we want to make a nice, rich, ripe Cabernet, but I will say that it's not, um, we still play in the camp of having structure and freshness and classic cab characters that aren't too, um, that aren't over extracted or not too alcoholic. We're still, with both wines, we, we walk a tightrope of power and elegance. You know, in the Chardonnay, there is still some richness and good viscosity and volume, but we've got right. acid that comes back on right. the end. And I would say the same thing with um, with our Cabernet, where there is richness and deep, dark fruits, but it isn't heavy. It isn't so heavy in your mouth that you get tired. It's still, it also still has some good acid and freshness that brings it back on the back end. Is this the wine that you always made? Because years and years ago, 90s, the wines got very big to appeal to the market. Now you're seeing a movement towards restraint. Some wineries have adjusted the type of wines. Has this pretty much been the style? We've been fairly consistent in okay. our style. Um, you, 
I've had the luxury of getting to taste through lots of verticals of Farniente and vertical older stuff, older stuff, and older and older wines from our, our from our neighbors and older wines from Bordeaux. Which just like part of my education at Farniente has been like that. And one of the things that's really stuck out is that for a long time, when we first started, we were chasing Bordeaux. Right. And then and then I feel like there was a point in the 90s and it kind of happened at different points for different wineries where we all kind of went we don't need to chase Bordeaux, Bordeaux needs to chase us. Like, right. And, be yourself, yeah, be, be and, what like, you can be. This is what we this is what we are and now this is a this is a truly Napa Valley Cabernet. Um so we talked about the wines. Let's talk about what wine is, which is an agricultural product. It's a farm product. Talk to me a little about practices. Okay. In the vineyards, let's talk about sustainability, any organics. Mm. You know, talk to me a little more when you get in the cellar about style. We describe the wines, but how do you get to that? Okay. So let's start out in the field. Okay, so out in the field, we, um, we do have our own farming company. So we farm the majority of our own grapes um, and own quite a, few of our, quite a few of our own vineyards. Um, and what that does is it really gives us great control over practices, over timing, and making sure that what's happening in the vineyard is exactly what we want to happen. We do farm as we do farm organically. We're not certified. certified. We're not certified because we just believe that organic farming is the right thing to do. It makes it's there's healthier vines. It's better for the environment. It's better for us. So that's what we're gonna do. And it and it doesn't matter to be certified or not because we're gonna do it because it's right. So um, so we do farm organically. We have an incredible team uh, in the vineyard. The, uh, home, the home vineyards for our Chardonnay program are located in the southern part of Napa Valley in an area called Coombsville. So if you're in Napa and you go east to the base of the Vaca Mountains, we own quite a few vineyards there. And that's uh, just a really tremendous place for Chardonnay. It's much cooler. You get the influence from the bay. Right. Um, do you like a cooler climate for your Chardonnays? We do. So we, so Napa is Napa's warm, but we try to find the coolest spots. Right. And I think you just retain freshness, aromatics. Um, it's it's a really special spot. We've got great different. There's a lot of variability in soil, actually, from the uh, some of it's more volcanic, some of it's more loamy soils, and so we get a lot of good um, a lot of good variation in the in the expression of Chardonnay from right. those vineyards out there. Um, what about in the cellar? So in you could screw things up in the cell. You could be organic outside no, and quite so, the opposite yeah. inside. It doesn't sound like that. That would change much. But no, we no we we um, we we do our best in the cellar to. Uh, we only add what we know is really important to making good wine. You know, um, we add we add commercial yeast, but they're a lot of them are organic yeasts. We do new we you know we feed them properly, and then they the wine um, for Chardonnay stays in in beautiful uh, French oak barrels for ten months. Uh, the Cabernet is in French oak barrels as well for about seventeen months. Um, and it's always new oak. So or? we use about fifty percent new French oak in our Chardonnay program, and around seventy percent in our Cabernet program. Okay, so we're pointing towards. A house style. Absolutely. I mean, every vintage yeah. changes, the crops, all of that. But you strive to have people, when they drink a Farniente, that they'll understand it's a yeah. Farniente. Um, we may have described it, but let's be a little more specific. What is the style of the Cabernet? Okay. And then the Chardonnay. <clears throat> I mean, what are people going to get when they pick it up? 
So when you, when you pick up a bottle of Farniente Cabernet, uh, you're going to know it's Cabernet right away. Right. <laughs> It um, it's actually does have... Um, we're, we're drinking some right now, right? We, we have a bottle of the 17. Yeah. It's a typical deep, dark, somewhat brooding, you know, dark around the edges. Tell me about the nose quickly. So for me, I not get... Not too oaky. It's not too oaky. Um, for me, I get lovely, beautiful black cherry notes. I get a little bit of um, sort of a licorice anise character that comes up behind it. There's some floral notes, a hint of boysenberry comes through. Is this nose through. we're talking about? or the, the nose, okay. yeah. I haven't had a sip yet. Okay. Yeah. And mouthfeel is, you know, a medium, medium plus. I mean, it's a fairly full wine in your mouth. Yes, it enters very silky and comes across the palate. It, it broadens across the mid palate for me. The same flavors are coming through that were in the aromas where I get some nice so the, cherry. The, the palate. palate replicates the nose yes, to a good absolutely. extent. I get a little bit of some... I get that little bit of anise sort of character coming through towards the finish. Really fine. Is that fine something grain. in the environs, think, like eucalyptus trees or no, anything? No, no, no. I think that's just a. I think that's just a classic ca- expression of Cabernet. There's different varying degrees of, of as you know, in Cab- there's different varying degrees of herbal notes, and this leans towards that sweeter anise sort of character. So, how do you achieve consistency every year? You'll have great vintages in a row. You'll have a crappy one. You know, we talked about the house style. How do you control that? So we control, well, the first control is by uh, consistency in your vineyards and having a consistent consistent source of grapes, which we do because we own and right. farm our own grapes. Um, we we try to use the best practice, similar practices every vintage. We have style goals in mind and lots of tools at our finger, lots of tools at our fingertips to try to get to that end point. Right. And we have a great production team and we taste together and we talk about what we we talk and taste a lot and talk about what is Farniente style are we on style with this um barrel choices you know we know what we know we want a barrel that's not super oaky super but sub- toast uh, whatever but, toast i mean and not an but really bar- supportive adding mouthfeel and texture so when you say that does that vary by manufacturer like this manufacturer of a barrel is known to have like this oaky barrel or is that how you can control Absolutely. that? Absolutely. So that so a barrel there's there are so many different cooperages and coopers who make barrels from France and every barrel can be um, every cooper has their own special way of making their barrel in terms of bending it, whether they use fire to bend it or right. water. And that has an impact. Toast, and that, that absolutely has an impact, whether the staves have been aged for two years or three years. So we do lots of trials and continue to taste new barrels and make sure that we're always using the right barrels for our program. Now, I should have asked you this earlier, but all the vineyards for Farniente, because we talked about four other wineries, are all the wines made from estate-grown grapes, or do you take some so we have, we actually have, uh, in 2017, we, uh, we started making two different Cabernets. Uh, so we have our Napa Valley Cabernet, which has its backbone in our estate vineyards in Oakville. And then we've gone out and found other vineyards with growers that we have long-term relationships right. with out in, other, in other of the sub-appellations to make our Napa Valley Cabernet. We also make an Oakville estate Cabernet. So those ones are 100% from our estate vineyards for the for the Oakville wine. So when you're working with outside growers, you lock in long-term relationships to make sure. But are you controlling and dictating the practices? Yes. That's part of the arrangement? Like, here's how we want it? That's absolutely part of the arrangement. So we have, 
Um, we have an incredible grower relations team and who makes sure is on top of our growers, asking for what we want. You know, winemakers are in the, in the vineyards. We have really good relationships with our growers and they want to do business with us and we want to do business with them. And I'd say the majority of the growers are wine drinkers as well. Right. So they want to make sure that their grapes are right. making excellent wine. There's a wine. pride factor yeah. in there. So everyone loves to make different kinds of wines. You basically make two wines. Don't you have like this itching desire to make like a Tokai Friuliano or something crazy, Trousseau, or even how would your Merlot, I mean. So with, so with the, with Chardonnay, I'm, I feel very fulfilled because I have so many different vineyards to work with and there's lots of room for experimentation and trials. It feels bigger than a singular grape. And it's a big task to, to have that many vineyards that are going to make one excellent blend. So, and with the Cabernet, um, I'm in a, because with our Napa Valley, I'm in different appellations. And so I get that, that joy out of seeing Cabernet in different spots. Uh, we also do do a little bit of Merlot and Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot that will go into the blend. So I blending wine, blending wine. But those um, fall under blending. I'm talking do. about. Don't you want to make a Sauvignon Blanc or? You know, our um, being in a in a group of wineries, uh, I have. I get the joy of having other winemaker right. colleagues that are doing different varietals or different wines, and we get to taste and talk together, and I get to learn about how they're making it. And so I feel like that's really fulfilling. My my absolute best friend at work is the Dolce winemaker, which is a late harvest Botrytis semillon. All semillon? It's semillon with a little Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Blanc. and that is a completely 100% different wine, and yet I get to be with him as he's making those right. decisions and tasting and and I feel a lot of pride of of the work that he's done and so I get a lot of fulfillment from that too. So on the Dolce thing, that's a singular operation. It's he's a, the winemaker. That's winemaker. the one product. One product. It's made at the Farniente facility. With How long group. have they been made? It's been a, like twenty plus. Yeah, I want to say we just had our thirtieth consecutive vintage of Dolce. It's with arguably one of the best dessert it, wines in America, right? It, I, it's the leading dessert wine in America. All right, so tell me this. When you're not drinking your own wines, when you're not tasting cabs and shards, tell me what you like to drink that has alcohol in it. I really like champagne. <laughs> okay, yes. I mean, that's... I'm a tiny bubbles girl. That's I like top tiny of bubbles. the list, yeah. for me at least. Yeah. All right, now... Any favorites? I mean, do you lean towards grower champagnes? We, Are you I, a big house guy? My, we, uh, we're we really starting to get into it more. My husband and I just took a trip to, um, we went to Bordeaux with a group, and then we went to uh, V's for a few days and uh, and ended up visiting a few small grower champagnes and really enjoying that. So um, we're, we just, we like to try lots of, lots All right, of new so things. Champagne, champagne, so you have a lot of time and a yeah. lot of runway yeah. to taste a lot yeah. more. What else do you like? Uh, spirits, spirits wise. Spirits is fine. Spine, like what? Okay. Like, we are a Manhattan house too. We like you a are? Good, we like a good Manhattan. Was oh, that bitters and rye? Uh, and... Yep, and uh, and some sweet vermouth. Okay, yeah. so you're trying different ryes and bitters and all of that. Okay, yeah. get a buzz a lot quicker than that. Um, it's a it's a wintertime drink for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and we're shifting to the uh, spring yeah. and the summer now. Rosé and all of that. Um, what I didn't ask you before is, it's always good to hear from, you know, you guys, the winemaker. With this particular Cabernet, what are like the classic food pairings with it? 
Well, I mean... What are you missing out if you're not having this cab with, what, a bloody burger? I mean, tell me what in your mind. So, I... Obviously, steak is a okay. really is a really great pairing, Holds and I like well. an, and I like a nice filet mignon with this. Absolutely, um, with some roasted vegetables tend to be really really great with that. So that's a pretty classic pairing. That's classic. Um, How about chard? Chardonnay. Uh, we love chardonnay with lobster and seafood. And actually, we had uh, we were at a dinner uh, a supper club dinner the other night here, and there was a uh, Brussels sprout and apple salad that um, I thought was beautiful with the chardonnay. And I yeah, really liked that like that pairing. That was it really would good. Do well, all right, Nicole. We have to wrap up. Um, if anybody wants more information, they can go and Google, or I guess go to farniente.f-a-r-n-i-e-n-t-e. Yes. Um, so, dot com. I think your social media handles fall under Farniente. You know, at Farniente yeah. Instagram and all of that. Um, so if you want information, you can get the wine in restaurants. Absolutely. You can get it at better retailers. And do you have a whole mailing list program you Absolutely. can go online you can go clubs. on you can go online you can buy wine online we have we have excellent wine clubs um where you actually get wine from all of the all of the different brands but chardonnay's and chardonnay by the glass in a lot of restaurants um, yeah it's a very popular it's a very popular very popular i wouldn't say ubiquitous but it's one of the better wines that's available at a lot of places um is this your first festival it is, and I'm so. It was my first time to Charleston. Actually. Really? Yeah, it, it was. You got to get out more often, right? It's, it is a beautiful city, and everybody's been so welcoming and friendly. I yeah, love it. Yeah, we we hope you come back. Um, I want to thank our guest, Nicole Marchese. She is the winemaker at Farniente Winery in Napa. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Sam Ben Ruby from the Grape Nation. Thanks again to the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. Stay tuned for more Charleston wine and food, which is going to be me after Nicole. Thanks again, Nicole. It's my pleasure. Thank you. This program is powered by Simplecast. 